We are in the final chapters of Micah chapter 7. I started it a little bit when uh, the ladies were off at their weekend conference. Just reviewed a little because I had to catch an airplane. And so we want to do the last 10 verses in the book of Micah. There are 10 tremendous verses. Micah concludes his book. It's a unit, a section, just at the end there, that Micah holds out to us. The prophets do this from period from time to time throughout their books. Sometimes they bring up uh, judgment, sometimes they bring up uh, discipline that God's going to do, and then they always weave in the hope. Prophets do it a lot. We see it throughout all scripture. We see it from the Pentateuch, the book of Moses. Uh, we see it all, all that. And that God constantly shares a hope. And we as well, uh, when we go through difficult times, we have a hope. We should always look to the hope that we have. Uh, when we first, I mentioned this a couple months ago, when we first got saved, we get all excited about the salvation that God has given us. I remember me when I first accepted the Messiah on that. Saturday night, 1972. January 17th. I don't know, I heard the words in there. January 15th, 1972. On that Saturday night, I went home and realized I was part of a new family. I was so excited to be saved, to be on a different side now of the fence. Because before that, I criticized the believers. I made fun of the believers. I attacked the believers, and I, I was a little like Paul, uh, Apostle Paul. I was very much against the believers. I thought they needed a crutch. I thought they needed something that I didn't that I needed. And so after I accepted the Lord, there was immediate change. That night, I was so thrilled to be a believer. I really was. And my, I know all my friends in the neighborhood, the people, uh, they, they used to say, Larry was a good guy, and now he became one of them. And I, I was proud of that. I was really, really excited. Because I saw that I had salvation. I saw that I had eternal life. I saw that I had heaven waiting. I saw and felt the presence of God in my life. I did. I felt it. I, I didn't feel the Spirit, but I knew the Spirit lived in me. I opened up the Bible with a whole new excitement about reading God's Word. I read through it the first couple months. I read through it again, right away. I couldn't stop reading it. I was praying. And there were so many good things. And I had my eyes focused, actually, in uh, yeah, one of the books. Ninth Corinthians, Colossians. In Colossians, in chapter 3, where it says, Keep your mind focused on the things above. That's what I had my mind focused on the things above. And not on the things of the world. And slowly, in the next bunch of years, I start you know, settling back into normal life. And I started seeing the difficulties of life, and things started going wrong. And I started losing sometimes sight. But some people try to remember, always keep sight on the goal, the end. They don't have to get your money. That's why, Micah, that's what the prophets do. In the midst of Israel being disciplined, chastised by God, and going through all kinds of difficult things, God always gives them the hope. He always brings it in. I mean, he speaks many times about a deliverance, salvation, that will take temple right then and there, and God will defeat the enemy. But most of the times they look to the far end future, the end of days. They look at the time when Messiah comes, when there'll be 
eternal life, when they'll be in the kingdom. And that's supposed to give the people hope. That's what Micah does in these last ten verses. He gives us hope. And uh, we, we see that uh, throughout these last ten verses. Uh, we see it in Jeremiah 29. It says, Thus said the Lord, when seven years have been completed for Babylon, Jeremiah said to the Jewish people, you're going to be taken by Babylon to a far land for 70 years. The end of the 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. That's a hope. And it's a temporary hope. But many of the prophets, as Jeremiah did, he said, I'll bring you back. You're going to be going here. But keep looking for the final hope. That's what the prophets do. Many times they, they give you an immediate salvation, immediate deliverance, and then they go thousands of years to the end of days when Messiah will come. That's what they like to do. And he says, I know what I'm going to do for you Jewish people. I'm going to bring you back to this place. That was immediate. For I know the plans that I have for you, but there's the work, plans of welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future, to give you a hope. That was immediate. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes. And I will regather you, and I will gather you from all the nations. This is why I think he shifts from I will gather you from Babylon back to Israel, which he did. But, but eventually, I'm going to be a greater one. I'm going to bring you not just from Babylon, but from the north and south, east and west. I'm bringing you back to the land for the future kingdom. That's what they're looking for. And I will bring you back from uh, all the places where I've been. All over the nations, declares the Lord. I bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. That's Israel's hope. That's our hope. That should be our hope. We've other difficulties in life, but it's worth serving God now. It's worth giving Him everything in our life. Uh, I talked, I was talking to Grant recently uh, about, we see commercials and, and occupations and things, and I'm so thankful. I'm not making light of anyone's jobs. I'm really not. Because work is good when God gives us work to survive, to, to live in this lifetime. But I'll tell you, when Fran said it, originally, 40-some years ago, Fran said, he had, God had to call me into ministry. That's what Fran said. She, she said, I'm true. And her friend, I was going to be a doctor. And, uh, but then all of a sudden, I got a new interest. And so, so she had to go back and tell him, well, he's not going to be a doctor. He's going to go into ministry of all things. So, but I started to realize all jobs are good. But I'll tell you, the job that that I didn't always think was you know uh, as worthy as any other job was going into ministry. And I started realizing now, more than anything, the greatest calling for anyone that I can hear is to go into full-time ministry. It's a great opportunity. And Fran thanks the Lord right now that God has called us into ministry for the last 45 years. Because to me, that's what really really, really, is the most important thing to get someone eternally saved. And to do so no matter what your jobs are, no matter what your jobs are, you are all called to ministry. Yeah. Not just me. Not yeah. just leaders. All of us are called to share with people and give them eternal life. And that's why Yeshua has given us a spirit that we might do it. And so I have no idea why I'm saying all this, but anyway. Uh, uh, we should serve the Lord now when you can. Find out different ways to serve Him. Whatever your job might be, you shall find ways. We should serve God now and trust Him for our future. We know what the future is. We know where we're going. So we, therefore, we should serve God today. That is one of the most important things. So because of God's nature of who He is, and because of His faithful promises that He's going to have for us, 
We know for certain what will take place. So, follow along with me. Fill it out. We should serve God and trust Him now for our future because of His nature, because of who God is, because of His faithful promises. So we started here. Uh, fill in. God promises in these verses to bless and expand uh, the Jewish people, our kingdom, the Israel's kingdom. So as as Michael is coming to his conclusion of the book, he's talking about judgment. He's talking about suffering and discipline and punishment. Now all of a sudden he says, let me give you a glorious picture. Let me give you a glorious hope that we have all of this. And that's where these verses shine. They really are. I mean, there's a little difficulty in one or two verses, but it really shines. So follow. first God promises Israel to bless them and expand their kingdom. God will bring joy and blessing to his people. He promises to do this for Israel. And he will do it for us as well. Not just blessings of when we get to heaven, the way you serve God now, God rewards them, but God will extend your kingdom and bless you now as you serve him. There's no greater blessing to all the world than serving God right now. I find that without serving God, without doing something for the Lord, life is empty. It doesn't have real meaning without God in it. Because he's called you and saved you to serve him, to glorify him, to tell people of him. And so God will expand our kingdom. He does it for Israel. Um, Micah chapter 7, verse 11. These, all these 10 verses are tremendous. There's beauty and meaning behind each one. Verse 11. It's going to be a day for building your walls. And if you just stop, so you know, I always tell you, read the Bible. Keep reading the Bible. And it says, where we're trying to start, how much time should I spend on it? You start anywhere, like Michael said today uh, on his radio book, somebody asked him, what's the best translation? What's the best translation to read? And Michael says, the one you're reading. The one you're, keep reading it. Just don't stop, the one you're reading. Keep reading the Bible. So this verse is saying, God's going to expand your kingdom. God will bless us, and I believe that. That as you serve God, and worship Him, and walk with Him, and do His will, God will expand your kingdom. Your life. And it says, I'm going to build your walls, Jerusalem. Build up your walls. On that day, your borders will be extended. And as Mike has already told us that they were, they're going to suffer, this is your hope. After you could get to Mike, but if you think about throughout the years, you think about Egypt, then you think about Assyria, then you think about Babylon, then you think about Rome, then you think about 2,000 years of suffering of our people being scattered. And God is saying, don't worry, you're coming back, and I'm going to build your walls. I'm going to make a great kingdom for you. That's what he promises to do. He's going to extend those borders. Uh, the borders, if you really want the borders, uh, probably one of the best sections to read would be Genesis, we're not going to turn Genesis chapter 15, when God makes a promise to Abraham. And he says to Abraham uh, that he's going to bring the people back from Egypt, and I'm going to extend your borders. And those borders, God makes very clear in Genesis chapter 15, those borders, which I'll deal with in a minute. But look with me and, and the people up there uh, working. I'm going to give you rough time today, I'm sorry. But try to follow along. We're going to skip a couple of verses that we did a couple of weeks ago. Go down to Amos chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. God's going to extend the borders. This is a picture of that. Amos gives us that same picture. And we read, in that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David, David's tent, David's house, David's tabernacle. Then the kingdom fell apart. 
but I'm going to build it up again someday. That phrase is, I'm going to build it up in the kingdom. David's greater son is going to come, Messiah, I'm going to raise up the fallen goods of David. And I will raise up uh, the ruins and rebuild it, as in the days of old. Then they will possess the remnant of Edom, and the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord for justice. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the treasure of grapes, and who sow seed, and the uh, mountains will drip with sweet wine. That's a great picture of the kingdom. Borders extended, Israel being greatly increased. I will also restore the captivity of my people, bring them back. Uh, they will build ruined cities. They will live in them. They will plant vineyards, and they will drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on the land, and they will not again be uh, rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord. Now, God promises a certain land that he's going to give to Israel. But it's, it's interesting, because in that future kingdom, Thousand years, maybe sooner. In that people, God tells us how much land we're going to have that He gave Israel. But throughout history, they didn't always have that land. They almost they never had the full amount of that land. We find throughout the Bible obedience of the Jewish people meant more land. That's the way God worked. Obedience meant rain. Obedience meant no miscarriages. Obedience meant the fruits, the vegetables, the apples, everything would be blossomed, everything increased. Obedience. Disobedience. Man, no rain. Enemies come in, chop their land off. And so we, even though the land all belongs to them, God will take it away. Not permanent. Bring it back. So obedience or disobedience meant how much land they were going to have. Even though it never takes away from the promise of the full measure of the land. And that's the same thing in our life as well. As we obey God and we walk with Him and do the things that please Him God. God bless you. Doesn't mean he makes you rich. Doesn't mean he doesn't give you sickness or a lot of sickness. But he will bless your life as you walk. God will not be sure. I mean, you, you will honor God, he will always honor you. So God says, eventually, Israel, look forward. I'm going to bless you and increase your land. Micah 7 12 says, It will be a day when they will come to you from Assyria, the cities of Egypt. From Egypt, even to the Euphrates, even from sea to sea, from mountain to mountain, great, great verse, giving us really a little snapshot of God promised Abraham. They will come to you from, now, if you have Israel in the middle, you're just north of Israel, you see Lebanon and Syria, and uh, if you keep going north, you keep going east, would be Assyria. Different from Syria, but Assyria. And from Assyria, which is far north and east of Israel, from Assyria, who was their enemies once. You come down to Israel, you keep going south, and you go a little bit west, what nation's down there? Anyone? Egypt. Okay. Egypt, Israel, and then all the way to Assyria. God's telling Israel, your borders are going to be from Assyria, from the Euphrates River, all the way up, all the way through Israel, down to the, uh, to the river of Egypt, it's not necessarily the Nile, but down to Egypt. And he says they're going to go back and forth. It's a beautiful picture that most people don't realize. Then he tells us not only from there, from north, from the south, but he says from east to west, from the Mediterranean, all the way across to the Jordan, and even up to the north of that, even to the northeast, all the way from sea to sea. Look what it says here in Isaiah. In that day, the last days, there will be a highway from Egypt, everyone up here, from the south, 
from Egypt to Assyria. That's a tremendous amount of land. There's going to be a highway for you to just keep moving back and forth. From Assyria down to Egypt, the Egyptians into Assyria. And the Euphrates uh, and the Egyptians will worship the Assyrians, uh, with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party, and each with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. It's going to be from sea to sea, from north to south. God's going to extend the great border of Israel. We look forward to that. That's what might be done. That's what God speaks to us as well. Look at me in Zechariah chapter 8. I love this uh, chapter because when I'm in Israel, I see the physical evidence of this. Um, Zechariah chapter 8 gives us a picture of what get in the future. Again, it's bad words are expensive. But we see it in our day almost. And it's not to say that it's happening now. It's, it will happen, but we see it in our day. And it says in Zechariah 8, Blessed is the Lord of hosts. Old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. We see it today. Sometimes when you're on tours, you see too much of it. It's too crowded. You try to find one when it's not so crowded. But it's a beautiful thing to, to see that our people just 70 years ago were being hunted out and killed and put in ovens. Now they're free from the land. It's a really glorious picture. See, old men, a home for the Jewish people. And uh, to go against what you'll hear in the media, all the people, what you'll hear uh, from uh, so many other uh, Palestinians and Arabs. And today, they want to take Israel off the face of the earth. The beautiful picture here is that God's promise that Israel and people will be back. There's a place for Israel. And I think about it, and people say today that the poor Palestinians, all they want is their own land. Isn't that a shame? Israel will not give the Palestinians their own land. That's I hear that all the time. I hear that even from Jewish people. Israel will not give them their own land. When the, when, when the nations today, there are, I think, 22 other nations. When the Palestinians do have their own land, Israel has always had their own land. When, when the Bible happened, the Bible, Israel says, we want one place of safety for our people. I'm reading a lot of books now, obviously, on the Holocaust, the suffering of our people, and Israel is to these folks. They do not want to expand. It's amazing. Our Jewish people today, uh, which I'm not for, they're willing to give up land. The Jewish people in Israel would give up the West Bank for them. They'll give up so much for guaranteed. All they want is a place that they don't have to run from, like they've done for 2,000 years. They want their own land. The Palestinians today, in the land of Israel, you realize this. That are from this people always say, well, they don't have rights as citizens. It's true. They don't. Well, unless they were there for 44 years. But today, there's many Palestinians in the land of Israel that are not citizens. And people are, see, that's not the right. They're not, they're not citizens of Israel. And they can't vote. It's true. They can't. But did you know the Palestinian Arabs in the land of Israel would rather live there in Israel, rather live there in Israel, than in Jordan, Saudi Arabia, any other Muslim nations? They would, the cop, they're not allowed to say that. If they say that, they and their families will often kill But they have the highest birth rate of any Arabs in all of the Middle East. Their education is higher than anyone in the Middle East. They're taking care of their health care more than anyone in the Middle East. 
They're tremendously good in Israel. But if you make all of them today citizens, of their one citizens, they want their children to be citizens, they want their grandchildren to be citizens, they want their, they want to go back, their millions and millions of Arabs to become immediate citizens. If you make them all citizens today, what happens? Everyone? It'll be a nation, but it won't be Israel. So Israel farms that. They want free to be their own Why am I saying this? Because God's going to extend their borders. And we see old men and old women sitting in the streets, each with his own stamp in his hand. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. It's a beautiful picture. We see it today. And yet, this is a picture of the kingdom. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Is this too difficult in the sight of the remnant of my people? Is this too difficult to do? And the Jewish people said, Yeah, you can't do it. It's too hard. Well, is it too difficult in my sight to clear story? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I'm going to have my people bring serve and save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. And I will bring them back. And they will live in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. God will expand and bless Israel, expand and expand the borders. That's what he will do for us. Verse that I love in the Bible, um, after David sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah, after David did that great, great sin, God rebukes David. He says, I'm not going to kill you, David, through the prophet. You deserve to die, David, you deserve to die. But God says, I'm not going to take you. And then God says something to David, which is so interesting. He says, David, I gave you your master's house. I gave you the kingdom. I gave you wives. I gave you children. I gave you so much in the promise. And then God says to David, and if that had been too late, I would give you more. And that gives me hope. Because God wants to give us. God wants to give us more and more blessings. Like I said, I'm not telling you that you're going to get rich. I'm not telling you not going to always be healthy. But God wants to raise the blessing as you serve it. If that's too little, I'll give you more. That's what God always wants to do. And God made a promise. My prayer, since about 2001, I started praying Jabez's prayer. And that's found in verse Proverbs 4. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, because it was a bad time, he came from a bad family. He came from a bad section of the land. Things were bad. And Jabez said, can you use me to overcome the bad? My family, this, they turned away from you. Can you change that with me? It's a great, great prayer for Jabez. He says, oh, can you would bless me. That does not mean, everyone, that he's sitting back like, a, oh, Lord, bless me. Just make me happy. It doesn't mean. He says, but he wants that hand of God to be on him, the blessings of God, which comes from obedience and walking with God. Bless me, God, so that I, all blessings, come to you, so that you glorify God. That's what God wants to do. God gave David the kingdom, so he glorified the God of David, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God wants to bless you, so that you would glorify him. And so, uh, Jabez blessed me, and indeed enlarged my borders. The promise of the kingdom, but don't do it for Israel. God wants to enlarge your borders, and use you to honor him. Enlarge my borders, 
Oh, that your hand would be with me. But it doesn't say that, that my hand would also be with you. But that's true, it's written. Lord, my Lord, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from harm. That doesn't mean that it just protect me from all the evil. He says, but I will be blessed with you. Didn't keep the enemies away from me. That you might that it might not pain you. The enemy coming in. And that you and God granted him what he that's what God wants to do. And Lord gets the words. Make you great. Make your promises with you. But then follow along with me. I don't know where it's strange. I'm going to enlarge your border. I'm going to bless you. Then all of a sudden you see punishment and suffering in the next verse. Because what God is telling Israel is before everyone, before the kingdom, before the blessings, we're going to see punishment, devastation. God will bring punishment, devastation. He does that many times in our life. Before he blesses you, he will put you through the trial. Yes. But here out of nowhere, Michael throws in this. Follow the land. God is going to punish uh, God will bring punishment and disaster to the world. And that it just fits in there right in here. Verse 13. It's almost like it doesn't belong. It says, and the earth will become desolate. Wait a second. You just said you're going to bless it. You're going to stand before it. You're going to bless the world. But the world's going to be desolate. Yes, it will be. Before the king. He's given a picture of what will take place. What took place in Israel's life. Before Israel. Before the kingdom. You know what will take place? Egypt. Babylon, Assyria, the Medes, the Persians, Alexander the Great, Rome, 2,000 years, end time, end time aside, false Poseidon, then the kingdom. God is holding that kingdom out as a blessing for Israel. But he says first, we'll be with his answer. It says, the earth will become desolate because of our inhabitants on account of the fruit. Uh, their deeds. God's going to punish as, as he promised he would. Now in Daniel chapter 2, it's a great, great chapter, then, a vision that Nebuchadnezzar has and, uh, and Daniel has to explain the vision. But the vision in Daniel, let me just explain a little bit, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar has, he says he sees this great statue and I saw a head of gold. <coughs> and Daniel tells him the head of gold is you. Then in the vision, after the head dies, he said, then I saw another kingdom come, and I, and I think it's the chest and the arms, I think, of silver. And then he says, well, that's the meats and the potions that are going to come after you know the kingdom. Then he has another part of the vision. He says, then the, uh, the stomach, the abdomen, and the thighs, they're going to be a bronze. That's another kingdom that's going to come. And he's giving Daniel a picture of history, controlling Israel. He says, that's going to be Alexander the Great. All the Greeks. Then he says, and after that comes another fourth empire that's more ferocious than all of them. That empire is Rome. And we know Rome was Rome was powerful there. Rome faded off, and Rome will come back. It says in the end of days. The word revived Roman Empire. They will come back. But the beauty of that chapter, in the midst of all these kingdoms, it says in all the suffering that Israel will go through through all the ages. There will be disaster. I will punish the nations. I will punish Israel. I will discipline Israel. But then, after all that, my love, everyone know what the next one is after all that? A little stone. I love the joke. A little stone will rise. That little stone is going to land on the toes of the Roman Empire. And Rome, 
and Alexander the Great, and the Medes and the Persians, and Babylon, and all the kingdoms of the earth will be crumbled. That stone will grow. That stone will grow and become a great mountain. That stone is Messiah and his people. There's first the suffering, then the glory of the kingdom. And it's similar in our lives as well. Many times we, I talk about people who are doing ministry, and one thing we have in common, those who endure, and God allows us, gives us strength to endure, God puts people through difficult times. If you serve God, let me assure you, you'll have trials, you'll have tests, you'll have tribulation, you'll have things that go wrong. As you serve God, like my friends, I once had a good friend, uh, Joel Turnoff, who's here, and uh, Back in Jerusalem, you know, I had a difficult time. I came here. And so after a couple of years, Joel turned up, came to my house. He came to my house. I have a little jacuzzi in the backyard there. And Joel and I were sitting in the jacuzzi. And he looks at me and goes, Did I have one you I said, Well, God was good. Because after the tribulation, after the suffering, after the trials, after the testing, hold on, hold on. God will bless you. God will extend you. That's us. Hang in for a little bit longer. We see that in the scriptures. Um, I'll just do a, a, a couple of verses here. But Isaiah, chapter 24 and 25. Everyone? Isaiah, chapter 34 and 35. See if you everyone. Isaiah, chapter what? First one? Next one? Chapter? Right. One chapter? Tribulation. The pain, the suffering. The next chapter, the glory is the king. Chapter 24 is the suffering. 25 is the glory. So Isaiah chapter 34, the suffering will happen in the days, chapter 35, the kingdom. Look at me, Jeff, Isaiah 24. Um, behold, the Lord, uh, the Lord lays the earth waste. This is a picture of the tribulation. Devastates it, Destor uh, distorts its surface, scatters its inhabitants. The earth will be completely uh, laid waste and completely despoiled. For the Lord has spoken, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. Chapter 24, destruction. I'm not going to read chapter 25. You can read it on your own. Chapter 25, the glory of the king. Chapter 34, Isaiah. Okay, skip the rest of that. Go to the next one. Isaiah chapter 34, verse 1. Draw near, thank you. Draw near, O nations. Hear and listen, O people, let the earth and it and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation is against the nations of the world. This is tribulation time. His wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them, and he has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off the stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. That is a picture of the tribulation period. When God will destroy the nations that come against Israel. If you read, I love chapter, not, not chapter, chapter 35, Israel will blossom like a rose. Israel, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk. It's a great picture. That's what Michael's doing. Michael first holds out the hope, extended borders that God promises. But he says, right before that, you will be suffering. God will devastate the earth. And as I said, that's the same thing in our lives. God does allow it. He does allow the trials and temptations. And the, the sufferings, so that he may also bring blessings.
how long? So God promises first in uh, Micah chapter 7, verses 11 and 12 and uh, 13. God promises to extend his reports, give them the hope of the future, and before that, he will punish the nations of the earth who went against him. But then he tells us, he says, um, God promises not only to extend the borders, but God's going to be a shepherd. God's going to care for his people. God will watch over and protect his people. God says, promises to care for his people and show them his power. Might have given the nation of Israel hope. Don't worry no matter what takes place. I will destroy you. God will shepherd his people. The Bible gives a great, great picture of the shepherd. God watching over and protecting his people. The good shepherd bringing him in to safety in the sheepfold and guarding and watching over them and protecting them from, from others. Good shepherd is such a great picture and theme throughout scripture. Fran and I went for one of our tours to Israel. I never forgot this picture. What a shepherd is like. You have to understand, the shepherd gives his life to the sheep. I mean, a wolf comes, a lion comes, a bear comes. King David pulled the bear down, killed the bear, killed the lion. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The sheep that are dirty and smelly and don't listen and go their own way. In fact, the shepherd used to be able to take a sling. As you know, David, now you look at a little comfort. David could take a sling, and the shepherd's good. And they could see, all the sheep are here, but one keeps going astray. One keeps going out here. The shepherd would take that sling, take that stuff, and run on that. Look good. That sheep, you know that sheep? Comes back here. Keeps coming back. The shepherd takes care of the sheep. I'm in this route, we're in Rosheba. Uh, and Fran and I are there in the little tail of the hill of Beersheba. And in the distance, we see like a cloud, smoke, and dust. And we weren't sure what it was, and all of a sudden we realized it was many, many sheep. And in the middle of a whole bunch of sheep, I still walking to see it. The cloud's just moving forward. As we see that, we see two men in the middle. Two men, just two. Two men standing there, and men standing there, walking with their staff. Uh, and they're taking care of the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. And the sheep follow them. But what was amazing about this scene was we had a whole bunch, and this shepherd here, and the shepherd are standing next to and all the sheep are there. And as they're walking, all of a sudden you see the sheep crying. And some of the sheep go this way. And some of the others go this way. And you know what we noticed? One of the men went this way. The other one this way. And the sheep separated from wherever they were and followed their shepherd. Because the good shepherd leads the sheep. The sheep know his voice, hear his voice, and they follow him. Because the shepherd cares for them, watches over them. That's the picture of our God. In the end times, God will be a shepherd to protect his people, to watch over his people, to care for them, and meet their needs. That's the good shepherd. And that's what Mike is saying. Not only will God extend your borders, but God will be the ultimate shepherd who takes care of you and brings you into the fold. And uh, yeah, a picture of that, we're not going to look at it, is in Micah, we already did, Micah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. That's a, that's a great, great picture of God bringing them into the sheepfold. It's found in Michael Delnick's book that he edited. Um, uh, the Moody Handbook for Messianic Prophecy. There's about a hundred articles 
about 1,300 pages. It's a great resource. But um, there's a, an author who speaks about that sheepfold and that shepherd in that pen in Michael chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. And that author does such a great job in that chapter. You should read it out. I'm not telling you what it is. Anyway, so, uh, but it's a picture of the shepherd. Follow along, Michael chapter 7, verse 14. Shepherd your people with yourself. Mike is telling us of the great shepherd who's going to shepherd the sheep. Shepherd with your scepter, shepherd the flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the wilderness, in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed, let all the sheep feed with the shepherd, feed in the land of Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. I love hearing the word Bashan and Gilead. I love hearing that word. I mean, the good shepherd takes care of the sheep. Um, when I hear the words of Bashan and Gilead, that means two seconds. Everyone, if you can follow me here, when you go to Israel, when you're in the north, in the upper Galilee, in that section of the Red River, and there's the Jordan River on the other side is Jordan. When you're right up at the top there, and we've been there many times, a little place called Kibar Bloom, but when you're in, in that nook of what's there, when we spend a few days there, we drive from there, and this would be on the east side of Israel. You drive all the way south through this great valley. This valley is called the Jordan Valley. It's the great, what they call the Rift Valley. It's the largest valley in the world. It goes for about 4,000 miles. It goes from Turkey all the way down to the end of Africa somewhere. 4,000 miles, this great Rift Valley. And the valley begins way up there in Turkey, and we see it come through, and we drive through that valley. When you go south, when you go down to the Dead Sea, you drive through that valley. And as you drive in picture with me, if you can, on the right is Israel, this is the Jordan River, or the Jordan Valley, and on the left is Jordan. <coughs> as you're driving through that valley, that up at the very top is the Golan Heights. And it's a beautiful, beautiful section. That's where you see, you see the cows of Bashan. You read about many places. The fat cows of Bashan. They're better than all the other cows because the land is so fruitful and lush and beautiful in the Bolamites. That's what Israel recaptured in 1967. And as you're driving through, these mountains change and they come into the mountain range from Bolam to the mountains of Gilead, where Elijah Prophet came from. And as you're driving through, on the side of Israel, which is really what they call today the West Bank, which is today in Samaria, but as you're driving through that great valley, and I love driving through that valley. Because I love seeing the Golan Heights, and I love seeing the mountains of Gilead, and that, because that's a picture of the prosperity of Israel. On that side, we know the tribes over there, is Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And that thrived mostly in the kingdoms of David and Solomon. And God blessed his people. And as we go through there, and you're thinking, this is where the Golan Heights are, Blessings to the nations of Israel. And then you see the mountains of Gilead, where Elijah the prophet came from. As we drive through, you think of the beautiful lush valley that it is, which God had given Israel. And so it says in that verse, shepherd your people, and they dwell by themselves in the woodland, in the midst of a fruitful field, let them feed in Bashan and in Gilead, as in days ago, as in the days when the kingdom was the greatest. David and Solomon, there was nothing greater. And it says the good shepherd 
We'll feed them, take care of them. We know it's Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. That doesn't mean you die, as we hear in all kinds of uh, in all kinds of funerals. I always read this. But even though you go through the valley of death, it's coming near you. God will protect you through it. Actually, it should be a prayer of God protecting us. And so the great shepherd will take care of his people and feed them. There are three great sections, I can deal with some of them, that talk about the shepherd, how he feeds a flock. And we should think about how the shepherd feeds and takes care of us. He's always taking care of his people. The shepherd, the great shepherd, who will watch over you. Jeremiah chapter 23 compares the false shepherds to the true shepherd. Jeremiah 23. Well, follow on Jeremiah 23.1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Now, side note, I was a young believer, three months, actually three weeks in the world. And I had to go with my, my dad, his second wife, and we went to see the rabbi, because they were trying to bring me back. And they didn't believe for three weeks. So I had to face the rabbi. And so we went there. And uh, this verse is meaningful to me, I'll tell you why. Maybe I didn't use it in the right way, but anyway. Uh, so I'm with the rabbi, and I start reading verses. Just different verses throughout the Bible, Isaiah 53, and uh, Proverbs 30, verse 4, Psalm 22, and then different verses. And it, after a while, my father's wife said, you sound like the rabbi, instead of the rabbi. And so it built up my faith, actually. It was very, very encouraging. That meeting, I was pretty scared. Because I thought, you know, three days, uh, I was just 24 years old and just knew the Lord three weeks. So I was afraid of the rabbi, what he would say. And so we finished, and I felt pretty bold and confident that probably, probably arrogant and, and wrong. But anyway, as I left, I just did something happened. I came out alive, and I had a good testimony. But then I left the rabbi in these final words. I said, Rabbi, last verse I'd like to read to you is Jeremiah 23 1. And I said, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scouting the sheep of my pastures. <laughs> Maybe I, I, I probably shouldn't have said it, but I'm not sure. You know, who knows? If I got the rabbi got saved, he said there was this young kid who was born to now. But anyway, it says, God says, Then I myself gather the remnant of my flock, this great shepherd, out of all the countries where I have been there. I'll bring them back to their land, to the pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, the shepherd, the good shepherd. When I will raise up the David a righteous branch, he will reign as king, and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, in the days, Messiah's days, in his days, that shepherd, when that shepherd is shepherding the people, in his days, Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he, Messiah, the shepherd, will be called. The Lord is our righteousness, unto knights of the kingdom. That shepherd is no other than the Messiah. That shepherd is God himself in the flesh. This tells us he is God. Isaiah chapter 9 also tells us about that shepherd who will come. It says, There will be no more gloom for Israel, for her, who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land, God treated the land of Zebulon and Naphtali with contempt. 
God allowed the Assyrians to come in and destroy the northern governments of Israel. But God will no longer do it. It says, but later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee, and the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness, Israel, they were taken captive. They will see great light. Those who live in the dark land and the light will shine on them. For you will break the yoke of your enemy. Shepherds will take care of them and protect them. Break the yoke, the burden of their staff, of their shoulders. The rod of their oppression, as in the day of Gideon. And Gideon, the of the enemies. Then he says, For a child will be born to us. That's the shepherd. Jeremiah speaking to God. Child will be born. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, the Prince of Peace. These two verses, Jeremiah 23, Isaiah chapter 9, tells us the great shepherd who's going to protect and watch over and show his power is none other than the Messiah, who is God come in the flesh. But one of the greatest passages I think about shepherding is found in the book of Ezekiel. Follow along in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. It's the picture of the shepherd caring for his people, showing them the power. I'm going to care for them. As a shepherd cares for his flock in the day when he's among his scattered sheep, so I will care for the sheep. I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy, gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the stream, and in all the inhabited places of the land. Ezekiel 34, verse 14. I will feed them in a good pasture. Their grazing ground will be on the high mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on grazing ground. They will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flocks, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. Then I will set over them one shepherd. See, God will expand the borders, and God himself will shepherd the people. And he will bring them blessings, care for them. I will put over them one shepherd, my servant David. This is probably a reference to David's future son, Messiah. He will feed them, he will, this is after David's time, he will feed them uh, himself, and he will be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. God caring for his people, for the flock. I said before, the shepherd cares for his flock so much. And sometimes we can rest upon that and think we can just let him. God is committed, as the great shepherd, to watch over Israel. To bring the people back to the land, to expand their borders, to bless Israel. That's what he wants to do for us. But he also says, I will shepherd you. That means he will care for you. He will feed you. He will teach you. He will bless you. And if you get out of line, he will discipline you. The great shepherd is committed to you and me. And though we think sometimes he's a God doting grandfather will just do anything for you. God promises not just to bless you, but to bring you back in line. The question is, and a lot of times people come to me and say, my brother, my son, my grandchild have turned away. You know what my prayer is for believers that have turned away? You know my prayer? Bring them back. Gently. Gently. Because he doesn't always do it so gently. 
that the great, caring, loving shepherd who wants your best will bring you back. He'll do what it takes to bring you back. Now, the, the scary picture is what the shepherd used to have to do for, for the sheep. The sheep all gathered here and one went away. No way. And what did the shepherd do? Everyone? Broke his Yeah, he came back. And they all got there. And that one kept going straight again. What did the shepherd do? Bring him back alive. Do you know after a while what the shepherd must do? He must take that sheep. Shepherd. Shepherd. Come on. He takes that sheep and he has to break its leg. He shatters the land. Then you know what the shepherd does? He mends it. He takes care of it. He feeds it. He mends and heals that land. You know what that one sheep does from now on? He never leaves the shepherd's side. He got the lesson. I don't want the Lord to have to break my land. Bring us back gently. The great shepherd of the sheep will do that. Mm -hmm. God promises for you and me, much like it's really in the picture here. He will extend your borders as you walk with him on day and night. As he will do for John the kingdom. That God will bring devastation on those who turn away from him. But then he will shepherd his people. That's what God promises to He will care for them. Roman in the two he said there. He will care for the sheep and he, uh, he will show them his power. God promises to do that. God will show his power. And that power we will see next week. But God promises that he will watch over. These last couple of verses, I just did one verse. Today. They're so rich, especially the next couple of verses. So we'll pick that up from there. But I want us to just remember what God wants to do for you and me today. He wants to enlarge your borders and bless you. God wants to shepherd you, feed you, care for you, and watch over you. He's committed to us. Father God, we thank you that you are committed. That you are committed as you are to Israel to protect Israel, expand their borders as we will see one day in the kingdom, and that you want to bless and use us to glorify your name. That you are the good shepherd who wants to care for all of us, protect us, feed us, watch over us as we walk with you and stay right by your side. We thank you, Lord, that we have a great shepherd who cares and is committed to us. We ask all these things in your shoes. Thank you.